or bulletin. I forget what I titled it. Something like the Kaleidoscope Kingdom of God. Is that, is that right? Okay. So hopefully, and in my notes, I have kaleidoscope as the very last thing written. So if I'm preaching hard and I haven't yet gotten to kaleidoscope, some of y'all just need to remind me, hey, you're supposed to wrap this thing up with something about a kaleidoscope. And then, Jalen, we'll get there. All right? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed. How many of you are good secret keepers? All right. How many? Is, anybody? How, okay, so let me ask a different question. How many of you are bad secret keepers? Oh, okay. Some bad secret keepers. Jody Light, where would you rank yourself on, a, on, on secret keeping? Oh, yeah, really? Is that what Megan would say? So on the day that, on the day that James was going to propose, to, that was a complete accident. Okay, on the day James Matson was going to propose to Megan Krebs at the time. Jody, what did you do? Did you send? You sent a text to Megan, right? And James saying, a, ah, yes. Oh, okay, okay, that's it, yes. And she almost, you almost blew the engagement. I was excited that you were here this morning because that story cracks me up every time. I, I listen, admittedly, I am not always the best secret keeper, but my cousins on Jenny's side called me the other day and they said, hey, um, we're going to have a baby. And it's weird because I talk to this cousin usually only in person, all right? We're cousins through marriage, and so we're not super close. And so the phone call, one, was a little odd. I thought maybe something wrong had happened. They sent me a text saying, hey, could we talk at some point tonight? And I'm thinking, oh, no. I called them. We're talking, and they said, hey, we're pregnant. And I said, oh, that's great. Does anybody know? 
I said, no, that's why we're calling you. Okay, fair enough, because on that side of the family, I guess no one's going to talk to me anyway, so <laughs> secret was safe with me, and it's great. And they said, we want you to reveal the baby um, at Thanksgiving, the gender of the baby. We want you to reveal the gender of the baby at Thanksgiving, because on that side of the family, um, I'm the only clergy on that side of the family, and so I only get asked to do one thing once a year on that side of the family. <laughs> you can imagine, I get asked to pray and things. It's the only time we pray as a family is on Thanksgiving. Easter, nah. We get together, nah. Who needs to pray on Easter? Uh, we pray, <laughs> that's a joke. We pray just on Thanksgiving as a family. And so they knew that. They knew that was coming up. And so Patrick said, hey, Jake, we want you to reveal the baby. Your secret is safe with us, we think. <laughs> they said, we, we want you to pray and then in your prayer, reveal the baby's gender. I thought, all right, sweet, man. And uh, I thought that was cool. And so I, I knew I couldn't tell Jenny. That's the one person I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell Jenny. And, and so uh, it was me and Ben on the car, on speakerphone. Ben and I, we kept that secret uh, to the point where I had nearly forgotten what I was supposed to do on Thanksgiving. That's how good of a secret keeper I became. I kept this, I kept this secret in, in, uh, until the time of prayer, and then I realized, oh, I've got to do this. And it was. You ever been the bearer of a good secret? You held this secret until it was time to reveal the good news, and then you revealed it, and it was awesome. Anybody ever participated in that? I'm beginning to think that I am the only person that has any idea of the subject matter today. Anybody ever revealed a good secret? Okay, two of you have done that. Awesome. Um, so have I. That makes three of us in here that have revealed a good secret. Does it not tie? Is it not amazing? It, it's cool, right? He's like, oh, I've been sitting on this. And as I prayed... I started getting fancy. I'm not usually fancy in my prayers at the, the numeric household because it just doesn't need to be that way. But I started getting fancy with my prayer because I, I thought, Nathan, if I, was, if I was going to pray in a gender uh, reveal, I was imagining what all my the, theological theologians and professors and the, theological friends would, would think about, about me uh, doing a gender reveal during a prayer. And so, I, so, Tim, I tried to circumvent around that. I didn't want to get theologically judged. You know, and so I tried to circumvent around that by making it a real fancy prayer. <laughs> so I was I was praying for all sorts of things, and uh, family's eyebrows were getting bigger and bigger. Like, where is this guy going? It was uh, everybody seen meet the parents, and Greg is praying at the prayer scene. Just kind of that's how that prayer went, Sarah. <laughs> just kind of lingered and just kept that going on and on and on and on until it got down to the and and Lord bless uh, Patrick and Betsy Hadley and the baby girl they're going to have. And then it was as if I never prayed at all. It, 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 it erupted, and, and they were celebrating, and they were high-fiving, and people were crying, and someone said, that's the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard, which is not true. Um, it was a train wreck of a prayer. Um, but uh, all that mattered then was what was revealed, and I felt like a million bucks as the rest of the Thanksgiving dinner, like, oh, Jake, that was neat, man. That was neat. That was cool. I see what you did there. Like, it really wasn't my idea, guys, but I'll take credit for it. I'm the cool cousin for once. The secret, the secret. You know, there's a difference between um, a secret and a mystery. A mystery could go unsolved. It could be that you search your whole life to find um, the meaning of a mystery and it just is left unsolved. 
The secret, though, sits with us, kind of like Patrick and Betsy's secret has set with me. A secret that one day will be revealed. Whether it's a secret in your journal, whether it's a great secret, a secret like the gender of your child, or it's a bad secret, a secret you wouldn't dare tell anyone. The secret that some of you will say will remain till the day I die. At some point, it's likely that that secret will come out. Or if it's a good secret, Michelle, there'll be a moment when you get to reveal this secret. It's the Jews and the Gentiles, many of us here have a knowledge base to understand that the Jews and Gentiles were like saying two ethnic groups that were completely opposed to one another. In our world, it may be like the Israelites and the Palestinians. Or for some of us, you know, it, it may even be those of us in America and those of us on the other side of a border. They may have that kind of understanding of like an us Verse them. Well, that definitely is certainly alive with the Jews and the Gentiles, those that are in and those that are on the outside. I think if you struggle to understand this concept, really maybe it might just be helpful to grasp this idea. The Jews understand themselves to be the inheritors of God's promise. So everything in the 39 books of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, all of the promises, and there's many of them, all the promises that remain in those 39 books, those are for the Jews in like a DNA type of way. They belong to them in such a way that God, just like we gave testimony this morning, God will not leave them. God will not forsake them. That is the promise that the Jews had. Now in Genesis chapter 12, there's a guy there by the name of Abram. And God comes to Abram and he says to Abram, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to bless you. Anybody else remember the rest of this? I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. To who? The whole world. And he uses a word there translated in the Septuagint, ethnos. It's the same word translated to Gentiles in the New Testament. So all the Israelites grow up. Abraham is their father. They understand that God's blessing is for them in such a unique way and that God's blessing will touch the other ethnic races of the world, the other ethnos, the other parts of the netherworlds, the Gentiles, that God's blessing will somehow come down to everyone. But belonging? Like in your blood? Like in your DNA, breath of my breath, dust of my dust. That? Gentiles aren't part of that. Gentiles are outside of that. Gentiles are connected... Um, Gentiles are connected to God's promise like I'm connected to Patrick and Betsy. They're Jenny's blood, not mine. I get to be part of the family. I get to be in the household. But I'm often reminded that I'm not really of them. I'm an addition. <laughs> Through a grateful marriage, and they treat me mostly like one of their own. <laughs> but I'm reminded that I'm not really one of them. Such was the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had promise that belonged to them. The Gentiles had promise that belonged to their friends. <laughs> and if they became friends with the Gentiles and, or the Jews, then maybe they could be a part of some of the repercussions of the blessing. But to be one of the children? No. Sorry. Not the Gentiles. They're on the outside. Now you can imagine, Alex, that this caused quite a bit of rift between these people groups. 
There were those that got to pray in certain parts of the temple, got to come closer to the center presence of Christ, as if if I would put barriers around this Christ candle and I would let, you know, certain age groups get closer to the presence of Christ and we would keep other age groups further away. Such was the relationship with Jews and Gentiles. The Jews got to be as close to the candle as they let anybody. And then they would let the women after that. And after that, they would let the Gentiles the furthest away from the presence of God. They got to be in the presence just the furthest away. Just a constant reminder that you're not really family. You're just part of that furthest blessing in Genesis 12. That God first blesses the Israelite father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of his descendants. But you Gentiles, you are not a descendant. Now I know I was tongue-in-cheek about being an in-law here, but we're most of us here are in-laws or have experience with that. And if some of us aren't in-laws and don't have that experience, we certainly have the same experience of going to school and trying to fit into a certain group, but knowing without doubt that we don't actually fit into that group. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but maybe just for, for eye contact here. I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Sucks, doesn't it? Stinks might be a better word on a Sunday like today. Stinks, doesn't it? To feel like you should belong. To feel like you should be included. Now listen, maybe that wasn't a struggle for you. Maybe I'm the only guy in the room here that went to school trying to fit into a certain crowd and, and found it hard to fit into that crowd and thus was consistently and always reminded of my outsiderness. Some of that had to do with the fact I moved around a lot as a kid with my dad's profession, and so I was always trying to fit into some place where I was late arriving to the scene. But maybe you've never struggled with that, and you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me just tell you that's not fun, and I'm glad you've never struggled with that. But perhaps there's a project at work you really wish you would be a part of you wish your boss would include you on, an assignment that you wish you would have been given, but yet it's been given to someone else, and every day you walk into work, you realize that you have the talent, you think you have the talent at least, you have the confidence, you have the skills, but yet someone does not see in you what you know is in yourself, and so you're kept outside of what you know your capabilities are. It stinks to be kept outside, right? Anybody have a favorite child in their family? Please don't raise hands. But is there favorite children in your family? I have a hard time believing that. You know why I have a hard time believing that? I hope my dad doesn't listen to this podcast. The hard time I have in believing that is because I'm afraid I'm the favorite of my family. I'm afraid that my parents treat me differently than they treat my siblings. Anybody been on the other side of that? It took me 36 years to kind of realize that. And this year when I was home for Christmas, there was a sinking feeling in me that helped explain maybe why my relationship with my siblings are the way that they are. All I'm really trying to say, Gentiles can't be the only ones that feel excluded, right? That can't just be a New Testament problem. That can't just be an Old Testament thing. Certainly somewhere in 2019, there's a group of people somewhere that feels the pain of constantly reminded that they are not in, that they are perpetually out, that they can get close, they can rub up against the promise, but they can't actually have the promise. What Paul is telling his church in Ephesus 
One is brilliant, and you, it's really, the whole letter is like a sermon. You really should read the whole letter. It takes 15 minutes to read it. You should read it for an hour. <laughs> you should read it four times. It's such a brilliant letter. It's a sermon. And really what Paul is telling the Ephesians, that the secret is out. And that that secret goes back to what would be classified as a mystery, but is no longer really a mystery because the secret is out on the mystery. The mystery is how is God going to bless all these people? How is that going to happen? How can God be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to all the other nations, to all the other ethnos? How will that actually happen? That's the mystery, right? And for 39 books, we see a relationship between humanity and God that ebbs and flows, comes and goes, that is embrace and denial, embrace and denial. How is this actually going to happen that God's promise is unleashed and that people are faithful? How can that actually be? To the ends of the earth, to all of the ethnos, is God out of his mind? Paul is revealing to all of his friends that he's heard the secret. That he's been part of the mysterious revelation. That he's been in a meeting reserved just for him and the Lord. A mystery unveiling that took some 14 years. And for 14 years, God spoke to Paul raising him up in the faith and giving him the secret. Jacqueline, you know what it was? It's a scripture, again, that we should all probably have memorized. Just in case anyone ever asks you, what is the good news? You'll have it ready to share. And this is God's plan. In some translations it reads, and this is the good news, both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the gospel share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. I really am not have anything behind this next statement. Honestly, honest to goodness, I don't. It's just sometimes it's hard to translate Scripture into real-life experiences without using real-life language. To understand the incredible depth of this passage, it might as well have been as if Paul had written, and this is God's plan, both citizens and illegals who believe the good news share equally in the promises of America. Now, if I were to actually say that with conviction and belief, in our country, that's going to offend people, right? That's not really what I need to say or what I'm trying to say. But in a world where politics and religion were so equally yoked, for Paul to stand in front of Ephesus and say that Jews and Gentiles were actually of the same blood in Jesus Christ, it was to blow apart their political convictions. There's a reason why Paul dies. This is the good news. That in Christ, 
Jesus, or in, sorry, in Christ, God makes known the reality of his plans. For 39 books, God makes a promise. For four of them, God reveals in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is what I'm referring to, the 39 books are the Old Testament books from Genesis to Malachi. From Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament is filled with God's promise. This is what I'll do for you. This is who I am. This is how it will happen. In four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the promise is revealed in real time. This is what it looks like. Have you ever heard a promise? You ever held on to a promise? And in your imagination, you began to formulate exactly what that promise would look like? You begin to build hopes on that promise? Maybe you begin to make plans on that promise? Maybe you shifted things around in your life based off the imagination of the promise you were told. And then when the promise is revealed, doesn't always look at the way in which you've captured it, such as the life of Israel. For years and years and years, they heard the promise of God. They had it memorized. They built their hopes upon the promise to the tune that I think they built their hopes on their imagination and not on the heart of God. So that when the heart of God was revealed through the flesh of Jesus Christ, it didn't look anything like their imagination had pictured what a promise would look like. And so when Jesus was made known to them in flesh, and Jesus began, Lynn and I talked about this this morning actually, when Jesus began to include all of these different strange type of people around his table, those that for years had built the promise upon the imagination in which they could conceive, mentally, they weren't able to recognize Jesus with all of his strange people around him. They had built their life on a preconceived notion of what promise should look like. And Paul comes to his church in Ephesus. Oh, friends, I believe with my whole heart that this scripture is revolutionary for us today in the year 2019, and I pray through the grace of the Holy Spirit that God would speak to your hearts to hear my heart, to hear his heart. To know that beyond shadow of doubt, there is now nothing that separates you from the promise of God to be for you and with you, to never leave you nor forsake you, to make you a name that is greater than all other names. How could that be? Because now God's promise and secret is revealed in flesh in Jesus Christ and he becomes that name. And through that name we are held to that promise. And so I know today, not tongue in cheek, not being facetious, missing all the familiar friends that we may be missing. May it be, it is just what it is this morning. Today, you're not here by mistake. You're here for a reason. And I know without shadow of doubt, there's not one thing that separates you. Not, not one thing that can separate you from being a part of that great name. Not one thing. There is no condition 
There is no stereotype. There is no past. There is no present event. God's grace now, a mystery as it may have been, a secret now revealed, God's grace in Jesus Christ includes every one of us. So we begin to place ourselves in this table of strange citizens that sit around the feet of Jesus. And in this table scene, it is precisely revealed the character of God's heart. That God will not stop at anything less than full redemption of all creation. No matter how high the water floods may become, no matter how busy our schedules may be, no matter how stressed out, no matter how many panic attacks, no matter how high the anxiety, that God will not stop until all things are redeemed. And what does God mean by all? I think it means anything that God's breath had created. Anything touched by the Spirit of God's creation now belongs to God, always has and always will And I think that brings us incredibly good news. This is that point where you need to remind me about kaleidoscope. I got to get to it. But I think that brings us incredibly good news because now what is keeping us from looking at our coworker? It's keeping us from looking at the outsider looking at the one that has been told they don't belong and showing them a different story, speaking to them a different language, reflecting to them a different heart. Oh, could you imagine the day, and it will happen, not as soon as I would like it, but it will happen. One day, all of Chipman Commons will share that story. One day, every person in this premise will live in such a way that our community will see an entire shopping center that operates in the way of the heart of God. It might not happen as quick as we would like it, but I promise to you that is God's promise to us. It will happen. Can you imagine that day when we begin to tell a different story story economically than what is being told elsewhere. Can you imagine that day when just the few of us, the 11 storefronts here, that we begin to tell the story of God's inclusion that is not being told in our culture, but is being told in the Bible. Can you imagine that day when we love differently than our neighbors love? How can we do that? We can do that because in Christ, God's power of promise is revealed to us to include all man. And in the giving of the Spirit, we are empowered to live as children of the promise. There's one last verse that if I didn't read it, I would not have preached. Hard for you to believe, I'm sure. God's purpose, verse 10, in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want you to track this with me. God has a mystery. He reveals it through Jesus Christ. He speaks it in spirit to Paul. Paul, in return, takes this secret, this really good news, 
and he now shares it to the church. Friends, the secret is out. And what is the secret? Oh, it's the love of Christ to all to belong to God's promise to be redeemed in God's mercy, to be held in God's grace. It is the best news that God will never leave us. This secret is out. Listen to this word. Did you catch it, Morgan? I caught it. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his rhythm in its rich variety. Isn't that a wild word, rich variety? I could tell you were perplexed by it. Rich variety. That's Greek word for that means many colors. It's the same word used in the Septuagint to explain Joseph's coat. Many colors. But the secret now belongs to the church in its many colors. Well, it's kind of like the Beatles song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. You didn't see that coming, did you? Anybody remember one of the first lines in that song? Lucy. With her kaleidoscope eyes. I don't know if God is Lucy in the sky with diamonds. I don't know if God would be happy with me equating to him being Lucy in the sky with diamonds. But there's something I remember about that song with the kaleidoscope eyes. Eyes that are able, anybody ever looked in a kaleidoscope? Sarah has. Sarah, the sermon is only for you. Okay, a kaleidoscope for everyone else that has not looked in a kaleidoscope. A kaleidoscope begins to, uh, how would you describe it? It just kind of portrays all these different angles and images using mirrors, and then it kind of brings in all of these different colors. It's hard to see one thing. You see all the things. Begin to see a pattern of an incredible array of colors. What Paul is saying here is the secret now belongs to a God who sees all the colors and to a church who now is to see all the colors. It's going to be a rich variety in the way that we share God's promise. There are going to be people that speak well. There are going to be people that teach better than the ones that speak well. There's going to be those that steward the church well, and there'll be others that work with their hands. See, there's going to be a multitude of gifts that he gets to in the fourth chapter of this sermon that you can read about later, but there'll be a multitude of different gifts. It'll be a rich variety, the church. See, when you look at it, it won't just look like the church of the Nazarene. It'll be far more rich than that. The variety of colors will be like Joseph's coat. And so in the kingdom of God, see, God's grace will happen through all the different, all the different churches and all the rich varieties variety and all the different gifts and all the different talents. See, that God's version of God's church doesn't look just one way. Oh man, it is rich and it's diverse and it's like that table that Jesus set beside in Simon's house and there was all of these different folks and above all there was this woman who was just a bizarre sinner that came with her ointment and threw it down on his feet and washed it with her hair and the church the whole time was wondering God's promise can't belong to her. She doesn't look like a promised child. She hasn't lived like a promised child. She hasn't belonged to the promised race. There's no way this lady could be the promise. But see, Paul is telling Ephesus right now that the church will look a lot more like that than it will look like a church with walls separating certain worshipers. And this new promise, not new, in this old promise in new form, people like that sinful woman are ushered into God's promise so that they are changed and transformed into God's way. So that the sinful woman can be a sinful woman no more. So that the adulterous woman can be an adulterous woman no more. 
So why might I be passionate this morning? Because one, I'm so glad that God's kingdom is like a kaleidoscope, seeing all sorts of different types of angles and all sorts of different type of colors because I can't typically fit into anything that I'm told I need to be. So if God can use a pastor like me, I'm just absolutely delighted. If God can use a church like News of Beginnings Church, man, I'm given hope. If God can use the unorthodox things, the things that look rich in variety and not a certain mold, and I think we're sitting in good company. And I think you, friend, have a good word. You have a good word because God wants to use you regardless of what your past looks like, regardless of what your anxiety tells you in this moment, regardless of your knowledge base. See, what God sees in you is a carrier of promise because God sees you as a promised child. Just the same as a simple woman that finds herself around the rich variety of Jesus' table, so we find ourselves in the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be in your life May it be a mine. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Of course, that's not the point of why we gather. So if you're trying to talk yourself out of the awkward silence there, it's okay. It's not why we gather. We gather here to worship Christ, not the sermon. And so as we gather and worship, we're united as the body of Christ. It is in our celebration of the Lord's Supper that we are reminded of our identity as members of Christ and children of God. As we share together in common things, bread and cup, we are reminded that it is in our common everyday living that God comes to us, reveals himself to us. We remember Christ's suffering. We're reminded that in our times of pain and suffering, God comes to us. These physical means of God's grace are given freely. And so we are invited to the Lord's table, invited to participate in the death of Christ Jesus so that we might also participate in his resurrection. This morning, you're invited to receive these elements with us as a means of grace and then to offer our tithes and offerings at either end of the altar or back in the little box there in the back as a gift to the Lord out of generosity in an act of worship. We receive grace, and therefore we give generously in grace. So let us remember together the death and passion of our Lord. Let us pray for his coming again, and let us not forget that we are one. at one table with the Lord. Let us pray. We gather at this table, your table, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who you anointed Christ to preach the good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Father, we remember that Christ healed the sick, and he fed the hungry, and he ate with the sinners like at that table, established a new covenant for forgiveness of sins, we live in the hope of this Christ coming again. 
And so we gather this morning as New Beginnings Church, as the body of Christ, to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. So I ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Father, by your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. Of course, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.